I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to the Rebel Wellness Podcast, where we embrace a holistic approach to personal health and empower women to break free from the noise of today's diet culture. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey to becoming healthier, stronger, and more resilient in this life. If you found this podcast, you might be somebody who is tired of feeling bombarded with unrealistic body standards and conflicting health advice and just ready to rebel against the one-size-fits-all approach to wellness. This is a great opportunity and place to create a lifestyle that truly works for you. And I want to welcome you to your new home for everything health and wellness without any of those influences. Rebel Wellness is rooted in the belief that true wellness goes beyond just diet and exercise. It's about nurturing our minds bodies, and souls in a way that aligns with our unique needs and values. So if you are new here, I want to extend a very warm welcome. And if you are a ride or die, hello again. So happy that you have returned. All right. So today's series is the end of our macros in May, and we are talking all about dietary fats as you should be expecting. (laughs) And again, I would like to invite you if you are tuning in for the first time to this one and you have not listened to the protein or the carbs episodes, go back, listen to those, and actually also listen to the first one with the intro so you can kind of get a really well-rounded understanding of what contributes to the three major macronutrients that support our body from the food that we eat. And today's episode is also special because like some of the other episodes, I am going to share practical application tips for macronutrients, but I'm also going to talk a little bit more about food logging tips for those of you that are actually logging your food and learning about what you are currently eating and how you can adjust it. And I've gotten several messages from some of you who have been listening about practicing your macros and doing it better and being kind of like, oh my gosh, I did not realize I was eating so many carbs. Somebody said, um, I literally eat 30 grams of protein a day. No wonder my gym sessions aren't working out. Somebody else said like, I eat so much fat. Holy cow. Um, there's, it's really kind of empowering in a way, even though it might be shocking <laughs> at first to find out, um, what imbalances are going on in your macronutrients, but that's normal because, we were never taught like how to manage and understand what composes food and how to manipulate it for our goals and our health. Which is why I am here because I would love to teach you all about how to do that. Um, And something exciting that is on the way, this little sneak peek, is an actual entire big course. It's a group course where we will be learning these things, practicing macronutrients together and a whole bunch more, but that's a little sneak peek just for you because you're listening and you've, you're on this, uh, this platform. Um, so stay tuned with that. And also I will also invite you to follow our podcast page on Instagram at rebel wellness podcast. And you can also follow my flagship page at coach by kills. If you would like to also stay in tune with everything, cause that's my major coaching page. I share quite a bit more of um, nutrition stuff specifically on that page, not just uh, podcast clips and things like that. So head over there, pop in, give me a follow, and I will say hello. Okay, so for this um, last episode, I'm of course going to be hitting the major types of fats so you can kind of learn them because that's important. So you can look at a a label and be like, oh, I know exactly what a polyunsaturated fat is. Um, But I'm also going to share my top recommended sources of fats 
in the foods. So like what I recommend you eat or what foods have this fat in it. And my own experience, understanding good old seed oils, because that is such a hot topic in the nutrition world right now. And if you have not heard that, that's okay. It's great that you're going to be learning it from me first. Because <laughs> uh, I've done, as usual, the due diligence to kind of deduce uh, what is good and bad and what is actually like what should be fully demonized and what should be like kind of in moderation. And disclaimer, most things in life should just be moderation because we can't, you know, live a perfect nutritious, nutritionally perfect life until we die because it's not a very long life in reality. And so what you can do to do the best 80 to 90% of the time and have a little wiggle room for the fun stuff or the easy to access stuff because really healthy stuff that's perfect is almost nearly impossible to get your hands on nowadays. I digress on all of that, but very important for you to know, we are going to talk about some of those things. But a last thing I want to say is I just have to begin these chats with a disclaimer that everything I'm talking about is not medical advice. So of course I'm speaking about concepts from my own experience and everything is either simply for education or conversational purposes. So with that said, let's sizzle into this fat combo. So of course, just to reiterate, the general theme of this entire series is macronutrients. So what are they? Why are they important for the body? And macronutrients are the largest particles that make up every food we eat and well, that we can safely consume. And aside from water, this means proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And these nutrients are much of what supports nearly every system in our body for vitality. So today we're diving right into fats and it is the most caloric macronutrient out of all of them. It's nine calories per gram, whereas carbs and proteins are four calories per gram. So fats are nine. This is why a little tablespoon of peanut butter is like almost 200 calories. And it's why when you are practicing macro counting, even if you just do it for a few weeks, or if you've been doing it this whole month or whatnot, you will really learn how much fat can manipulate the total calories of every meal, especially because when you go out to eat, there are sometimes insane amounts of fat because it helps with flavor, with pal palatability, they call it. Basically, when you combine a fat with a salt, it's a, like a little party in your mouth, essentially. But it's also easier for a lot of restaurants to cook um, things and like them not stick or burn with like seed oils, which is why there's pretty much always canola oil on most foods that you get out. And you don't know how many things they cooked in oil. It's pretty surprising. So oftentimes we end up um, ordering something and there's all this hidden fat, which is a lot of hidden calories. So for those people that have previously always just been following like calorie counting, you might have been getting it wrong. And that's maybe poss possibly why it's not worked for you because you don't really know the true caloric breakdown of all the ingredients involved. And when fat is hidden, like they tend to put fat in your veggies. Then additionally on your steak, like I've worked at many restaurants the first half of my life essentially, and they will finish a steak with butter and things like that after cooking it with oil. So, and there's already a lot of fat in steak. So it's kind of one of those things where it's really hard to understand just how many calories is involved, especially with fats. So this is why this conversation is especially important because we want to make sure that you understand the ins and outs of dietary fats to avoid 
kind of this confusion or misinformation, etc. But speaking of misinformation, fat misinformation is rampant, especially thanks to diet culture demonizing fats in the big push for everything fat-free. I'd say like the quote-unquote old school belief is that eating fat is what makes you fat and a low-fat diet is the best way to lose fat and keep it off. And that was a belief that led to the popularity of the low-fat movement that was like very popular in the 80s and 90s. This is like why we started seeing like fat-free everything and whether or not that is actually beneficial for you or healthier is always debatable because like, for example, fat-free dairy products just means they increase the sugar and other chemicals involved to stabilize that dairy when in reality, that's the fat's job and there's nothing wrong with keeping fat in a dairy product. That's why more so nowadays you hear a lot of people talking like, good quality whole milk yogurt or something like that is more health promoting than a fat-free Yoplait, which honestly, I do not support anything with Yoplait. Sorry, Yoplait. I used to eat you when I was like in middle school because of those like whips, you know, those things were delicious. But when you read their labels, they are a horrible source of protein. They pretty much don't have like anything going on in them that's good. There's fake probiotics added back in. You have to get your yogurt probiotics created by the process of culturing naturally, which if you didn't know that, big yogurt companies will add the bacteria back in, which does not work the same. So it'll show up as like lactobacillus and all of that on the back of the label towards the bottom of the ingredients. If it starts at the top of the ingredients, that's how you can know that it probably was truly cultured properly. Like, so if it says ingredients and the first few things are the probiotics, that's usually a sign that yes, this yogurt was created properly. And if it's at the end, that means it was added back in. So uh, Oikos or, or any Dannon, Yoplait, um, most of those cheaper quote unquote Greek yogurts are not truly Greek yogurts. Things like Faye or Phage, however you want to pronounce it, and Siggy's and Trader Joe's Greek yogurt, etc. Those are greater brands of higher quality. So anyways, that's important to know, but it is also important to see how we've kind of adjusted food that used to be more nourishing into this kind of chemically or uh, machine altered food that doesn't really need to be the way it is. So that's why we're talking all about this. Additionally, it's important to note that there's another common belief in society for like a ton of decades because of honestly misinformation from a lot of our nutrition authorities in the US. And I don't really want to get into why there's misinformation from them other than it is important to know that all the big corporations work together to keep each other profitable. That's all I'm going to say. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's actually a legit thing, especially if you talk to anybody who's involved in these industries, you will know that. Um, but they, a lot of people believe now that fat not only makes you fat, like I said, but clogs your arteries and can send you to an early grave. And this is simply not true. It's actually a combination of things. And we're going to talk about that. But I also suppose on the opposite end, the pendulum has swung in the other direction. A lot of people believe fat should be eaten abundantly, and the more fat we eat, the leaner and healthier we'll be. And that's kind of like, uh, like I spoke about in the last episode, where the keto diet has gotten many into like slapping coconut oil and MCT oil into their coffees, aka bulletproof coffee. And while I don't necessarily suggest it for the everyday person that's eating a mixed macro diet, meaning they're eating each area of 
the three macros in every day, um, aka they're eating carbs and they're not in a no carb diet. Um, I don't think that there is, it's not healthy for those people, but it can actually have a place in the diets for no carb diets. That is very specific. So unfortunately though, many people go like very wrong in attempting to follow keto because they follow like the fad diet approach of just crushing down butter on steaks and cream cheese milkshakes. I've seen it many times. And no matter how many times I try to guide these people in the right direction, um, they just kind of want to drink the like fad diet Kool-Aid of like following the Pinterest for the like really crazy keto things where it's like bacon and just like too much of that stuff. And that's a hard no (laughs) for me with doing keto that way. There is a really proper way to do keto for therapy, like a therapeutic intervention for nutrition. And I have guided several clients through that for very specific reasons. But I'm going to dive deeper into that one in the summer series because we're going to be talking all about fad things, including my thoughts and experience with keto for myself and my clients. So stay tuned for that one. And hit that follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss it because it's going to be tons of good things on deck for you in June through August. Okay, so let's get into the fat basics. So there are four major different types of fats and they all impact our health in one way or the other. So keep in mind that all fat containing foods have a mixture of these fats, but some have higher amounts of some than others. So the first fat we'll talk about is monounsaturated fats. So this type of fat is often referred to as a healthy fat. Monounsaturated means there is one double bond in the fatty acid chain, giving the oil some amount of flexibility and fluidity. So monounsaturated fats are called MUFAS. That's what they're kind of acronym to. And they are liquid at room temperature and they tend to solidify in the refrigerator. So monounsaturated fat is the least controversial of all the fats, and it's likely protective against diseases like heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, and even certain cancers. A higher (laughs) proportion of monounsaturated fat in our diet reduces the risk of insulin resistance, and it also benefits the body in um, inflammatory response. So it could even help keep us leaner. So they're found in lots of healthy whole foods. The most common sources include olives, olive oil, avocado, avocado oil, nuts, such as almonds, macadamia nuts, and pistachios. And, you know, something that's important to note about this stuff is you always want to look for extra virgin if you are purchasing oil from the store. And a good amount of monounsaturated fats do not have a high heat point or a high smoke point. So that means that they break down and turn into a trans fat because it adjusts the structure when you heat a fat. And if you're cooking with, let's say, olive oil, like pure extra virgin olive oil, and you get the heat too high past its threshold and it burns, you're going to need to wipe that all out and get rid of it and start over. I honestly would say You don't really want to cook high heat with olive oil because you're going to destroy all the benefits of olive oil, um, unfortunately, and you'll find that they have a higher processed version. It's usually like the the nearly clear version of olive oil, and it's usually cheaper. It's like by Bertoli and stuff like that. Um, That becomes less healthy because now they've processed it too highly. Extra version simply means hardly been touched, just pressed out of the olive. And that same goes for everything, extra virgin coconut oil, extra virgin avocado oil, et cetera. When you have expeller pressed, that means you start to get into a heating and pressing chemically process. 
So that takes the oil further away from its most natural state, which is less therapeutic for the body. So that's important to know is that not all oils are the same. Always opt for extra virgin where you can. And I understand a lot of people purchase avocado oil as a healthier version of a high smoke point, but it's always, again, if you look at the bottle, it's expeller pressed avocado oil. And that is kind of canola oil adjacent at that point. So I would say just kind of be aware of that and try to use it sparingly as much as possible. So you're kind of reducing that imbalance of more processed oils in your body. But also something that's interesting that you may not realize is many animal foods are high in um, monounsaturated fats as well. So egg yolks are predominantly monounsaturated fat. That's why they actually are truly very healthy for everybody. (laughs) Um, They have gotten demonized over the years for various reasons, but honestly, they are the cheapest, most complete, accessible protein um, that actually are not truly harming animals when in a a good uh, natural state. Because like I think I said in the previous episodes, chickens lay eggs regardless of being in a factory farm or something like that. So again, I like to support local egg farmers, um, but that is one of the best things you can eat for good quality fats in the beginning of the morning, good quality, complete protein um, for a whole bunch of reasons. And eggs can contain things like choline and various other extremely important vitamins and minerals. So honestly, they're kind of a powerhouse. So if you've been somebody who's been avoiding eggs because just your parents or your grandparents were like demonizing eggs for you and said they're so bad, they're high in cholesterol, dietary cholesterol is not converted the same as cholesterol when you are making it yourself. So when an animal makes cholesterol and it it becomes the content of cholesterol in the egg, so to speak, your body doesn't take that cholesterol and make it cholesterol in your own body because it's already been made. So what they've found is that you basically expel that cholesterol. That cholesterol is not going to add to your own. So there's a lot of kind of misinformation in the cholesterol world as well. But eggs, even though they're high in cholesterol as a number, it's already completely made cholesterol. Therefore, your body is not going to make it itself as its own cholesterol. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a little confusing, but um, you don't just absorb somebody else's cholesterol the same. Your body has to create the cholesterol out of different components of the food you eat. And also half the fat found in pork and beef is monounsaturated as well. This is why we have found diets like paleo diets and things like that are very health promoting, um, especially too when people are eating keto. Um, This can also be more of a um, anti-inflammatory path because they are focusing more on that and less on processed carbs and things like that. Okay, so let's talk about saturated fat. (laughs) This is also another one that's kind of misunderstood. So saturated fat has all the single bonds in its fatty acid chain, making it more rigid and structured than other types of fats. That's why these fats are solid at room temperature. Um, It's commonly called a bad fat and gotten bad rap over the years, thanks to poorly executed research and industry influence over the past few decades. But the truth is like there's very little evidence, especially aka scientific evidence that saturated fat in moderate amounts has any negative impact on our health. This is a fact. Unfortunately, I don't know exactly what they are benefiting from making saturated fat so um, repelling people from it so intensely. But uh, evidence published in 2017 shows that saturated fat intake is not associated with cardiovascular disease or stroke. 
and seven other review papers have found the similar results in modern science. Therefore, I think we've been misinformed for a long time or again, poorly executed research, which is very common in the food industry um, because people pay for people to put out these things to sway the masses into eating their other products. That's just the history of big food, unfortunately. So saturated fats play an essential structural role in the body, especially the structure of cell membranes. Um, this is really, really important because Certain saturated fatty acids even show benefits for energy metabolism, immunity, intestinal health, and metabolic health. So many of these fats are found in animal foods and contain fat-soluble vitamins, which is A, D, E, and K. If you don't consume a fat with those vitamins, like if you're taking a daily multivitamin and you're not consuming enough fat with it, your body cannot absorb it. It is fat-soluble, meaning that it needs that fat to be utilized in the body. So avoiding saturated fats entirely makes it challenging to get adequate amounts of all three of these nutrients from our food, and they are essential nutrients. Our body needs them as cofactors for specific systems in our body to work properly. And I will like point towards the fact that there was a recent coconut oil scare in the headlines, and much of this position by the AHA is based on outdated guidelines for saturated fat intake. So coconut oil is not a dangerous food, especially, like I said, extra virgin coconut oil, its most low processed form, but it's also not like a magic cure-all. So again, this is where that moderation and understanding the food you're eating and why is very important. But I remember when this study came out and I remember reading a very specific study done on isolated tribes in the Amazon who consume high saturated fat diets because they consume animal proteins and coconuts because coconuts is one of their main fat sources and they had zero occurrence of heart disease. So that was kind of a very specific controlled situation where somebody in, lived their entire life consuming a high saturated fat diet and didn't have heart disease. Therefore, what do we also consume in our diets that does contribute to our heart disease problem? cough, cough, uh, carbs and processed things, cough and seed oils. But um, that's kind of a good way to understand that, no, it's not the coconut oil or the saturated fat. It is obviously something else that is going on in our specific kind of culture and environment to that extent. So that's important to note that there are so many different researchers who have spent time learning this and figuring it out. So Correlation versus causation for the heart risk disease in the U.S. is not necessarily um, as straightforward as don't eat coconut oil. It's making you have heart disease. Like now, that is really not what's giving people heart disease. So with that said, the majority of the population can consume saturated fat as a significant proportion of their fat intake and not experience an increase in chronic disease risk. That is a fact, especially if you're managing your processed foods, your sugar intake, etc., but there is a small subset of the population who may benefit from a reduction in saturated fat intake. There are certain genetic factors that affect the way the body processes saturated fats. And for some people, a higher saturated fat diet intake raises their LDL cholesterol and it might increase their weight. So it's if that's a case for somebody, if they have noticed that happened to them, it's worth doing some genetic analysis if you're seeing significant weight gain or extremely elevated LDL on a diet that's higher in saturated fat. But again, very small subset of the population. So foods that are higher in saturated fat, aside from what I had already mentioned to you, um, is beef, lamb, pork, dairy products like butter and cheese. And for butter, I always usually recommend going for that grass-fed version because 
there is significant um, difference in how much omega-3s and other good quality nutrients are in grass-fed milk from cows versus standard. But consuming these foods regularly for most healthy people, there is no need to fear these foods in your diets. They are actually usually more health-promoting than anything that's adjusted, low-fat, low-carb. And as long as they're in their most natural state, like I mentioned before, we don't actually have any significant unbiased emphasis on unbiased evidence otherwise. So that hopefully should bring you some assurance that all of those foods actually don't have any evidence saying that they are bad for you to consume relatively regularly if you're a healthy adult. So do remember uh, a lot of the evidence or science that you'll Google and find online was if you find out who funded it, you're going to find out that it was big corporations who funded it. And, um, The results were from small group studies or anecdotal extremist hearsay by somebody who wrote a book and cultivated a following. So they brought this big blog into a good presence. And so they've got all these people drinking their Kool-Aid just so they can keep making money off of selling their very specific extreme diet plan. And that does not mean that it is good for you. A lot of people say like, well, if it's working for a lot of people, we don't actually know because most of the time, if you would say if something is working for somebody, you cannot gauge it by, are they losing weight? That That is a toxic old thought process that if you lose weight, you must be getting healthier. Those are both not an equation of A plus B equals C. That is completely wrong because I've seen a lot of people get leaner because their gut health is wrong. They're sick. They're reducing an entire macronutrient from their uh, body and their body is going into its reserves and it's dying, literally. Um, I've seen horrible blood work from people who are not taking care of their eating enough, etc. So just because somebody gets smaller does not mean they're getting healthier. So I just have to like really write that one home because it's so important to understand that and start unwriting that narrative from your own history mentally because it's so easy to because that's what we think right and you get compliments when people say like you look leaner you must be healthier and it's like not always you know but again to finish out the saturated fat chat the caveat here is that just because saturated fat isn't likely to harm you in moderate quantities it doesn't mean you should um, be adding tablespoons of extra fat to food and beverages like i would highly not recommend that um but the evidence supports consuming saturated fats as part of a balanced diet, including a variety of other fats and nutrients, can be very health promoted. And eating tons of like isolated saturated fats like coconut oil and butter in your food probably won't benefit your waistline just because still it's a calorie surplus potentially. So just be aware of that. Okay, moving into polyunsaturated fat. This is one of the more confusing and complicated fats. We refer to them, you might see them all over if you're on like health talk or nutrition uh, Instagram, et cetera, um, P-U-F-A-S. So they contain two or more single bonds in their fatty acid chains, keeping them fluid even at cold temperatures, aka like canola oil, grapeseed oil, et cetera. The two most commonly discussed P-U-F-A-S are um, omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. So omega-6 fats are found primarily in nuts and seed oils and grain-fed animal fats. And omega-3s are found in fatty fish, certain nuts and seeds, grass-fed animal fats, like I said about the grass-fed butter, the grass-fed milk from cows, and egg yolks. So these single bonds are also make these fats more susceptible to oxidative damage when exposed to heat, light, or oxygen, which is why they kind of can smell rancid when they go bad. 
And once they get oxidized, they become inflammatory and toxic to the body. So this is why a high consumption of polyunsaturated fats is associated with chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and Alzheimer's actually even. Eating fatty fish, grass-fed meats, egg yolks, and moderate amounts of whole nuts and seeds is likely fine, but using polyunsaturated fat-rich oils to cook with may lead to increased inflammatory risk. So I would avoid different oils like industrial seed oils like canola, corn oil, soybean oil, margarine, grapeseed oil. Basically, if it comes from a seed, it has to be highly processed out of that seed because that is not a natural oil source. Nuts are a natural oil source. Seeds are not. They are not the same. So do know that the higher process, something has to get an oil out. Historically, the body has never been able to do that before, right? So we can't eat things that have been made to be magically an oil. And canola oil, fun fact, was first created to be an industrial lubricant. And so then they discovered, oh, it's actually relatively safe for humans to consume. Um, But it's very high in omega-6s and their stupid packaging that says uh, heart healthy is not true. It's very misleading. There's so many packaging things. Um, I need to go through all of those for you guys too, so you can learn about that. But um, canola oil is not heart healthy and it is not good for you in that sense. So it's literally an industrial lubricant. So I would say avoid industrial, uh, seed oils as much as you can, because there aren't very many health benefits ever from them. They are artificial because they have to be processed highly out of a plant or a seed. And those do not create oils naturally. What creates oils naturally are grass-fed meats, fish, and eggs, nuts, etc. Okay, and the final fat that we want to talk about is trans fats, and they're generally referring to the artificial fats that are created by adding a hydrogen atom bond to a polyunsaturated fat. So this system, or process rather, makes these fats more solid and similar in consistency to saturated fats, where there are a few naturally occurring trans fats, most are created in a factory. So trans fats are less likely to spoil or go rancid. This is why like processed foods and anything on the shelf loves to have it because it has a longer shelf life. They also incorporate it into refrigerated stuff so that it has a longer shelf life too. Things like pre-made dressings. Unfortunately, these fats are well known to cause serious health issues when eaten regularly because they are known to raise your LDL cholesterol, lower your HDL cholesterol, which your HDL is your good, your LDL is your bad, quote unquote. And it increases the risk of developing cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, etc. So do know there is no health benefit to industrial trans fats and they should be avoided as much as possible, nearly entirely if you can. But this is why a lot of um, marketing, once they have discovered that, touts no trans fats like all the time. But you do still want to check and see what what you're consuming if it does have trans fats and it just so you can be aware. So they are also primarily found in shelf-stable baked goods, frozen processed foods, margarine butter and fake vegan butter, as well as some fried foods. So donuts, cookies, crackers, muffins, pies, cakes, etc. And they are also, unfortunately, they tend to um, both polyunsaturated fats and trans fats can occur more in vegan baked goods, like ones that are not 
that don't have to put the label on them at a store. If you go to a bakery, like a vegan bakery or plant-based, whatever, unfortunately, because they have to alter and use so many um, non-natural sources of flowers and oils and things like that, they often have a lot of trans fats in them, which is something that a lot of people don't know. So do be aware that when you remove more natural sources that create the texture of your fluffy muffin, they had to get it with alternate industrial oils and flowers and other things like that to create a vegan version. So do know that that does mean you tend to sign up for higher trans fats and PUFAS, aka polyunsaturated fats. So look out for words like partially hydrogenated or fully hydrogenated in the ingredients list because a lot of labels don't always disclose their trans fat content because it is more known that trans fats are really bad for you. Okay, so that's all for the learning portion of that one. So what is the deal with dietary fats and their effect on our body fat? So these days, like low-carb advocates argue that eating fat actually makes your body burn more fat and that it's actually the carbs and sugar that lead to fat gain thanks to the rise of the insulin that happens after you eat them. Or it's that you are going to turn dietary fat that you consume into fat immediately. But the truth is neither of these beliefs are correct. Because you can gain body fat or lose it on a low fat or low carb diet. It's all dependent on the person. There's no magic diet that leads to optimal body composition for everyone. Unfortunately, that is just the way it is. If fat loss is your goal, ultimately the best diet is the one that you can stick to and not cause hormonal disruption. So this is where I usually tell my clients, like if you can adhere to it, that is the common denominator for every single diet that works for people. That is the only thing that is the same across the board. People, like I said, can lose it from a low fat, low carb or nothing low. They just are adjusting their calories, but eating everything in proper proportions of macronutrients and they will still lose fat. So you don't have to remove entire food groups in order to lose body fat. There's no magic there. But when I do work with women who want to reduce body fat, I find that most do best on a diet that contains both carbs and fat in appropriate amounts to support their general health, hormone production, good sleep, satiety, all of that. Because consuming too much or not enough of fat negatively affects a lot of different factors, especially like hormones. I see it all the time. And it makes it really hard to stick to an extreme diet in the long term. And we want something that you can follow for the long run because then it works. I hear this all the time. A lot of clients will be like, well, this diet really worked for me or that diet really worked for me. I'm like, well, did it because you're here again now and you're trying to lose fat again. So if that diet worked for you, it should have kept the fat off and let you learn how to eat food properly in a way that works the best with your body and your metabolism and your lifestyle. Therefore, you should have been able to manage and maintain it long term, right? So any diet that you lose fat and then the year after gain it all back is not a diet that works, unfortunately. The only thing that tends to work is that you were more specific, paid attention to something, had a calorie deficit, and that's pretty much what did it for you. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a quick list of what happens when you have too much or too little dietary fat in your diet. So too little fat in your diet can lead to constant hunger shortly after eating, dry skin and hair, acne, low sex hormones, so low production of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, um, irregular periods, or no period at all, otherwise known as amenorrhea, poor blood sugar control, low mood, anxiety or depression, frequent sickness, low body temperature, premature aging, 
and unintentional weight loss or weight gain, depending on your calorie intake. So clearly a lot of stuff is bad if you are too low on your fat in your diet. And um, we actually are seeing evidence now that a lot of women who are getting early onset Alzheimer's disease in their 40s and 50s followed a lifetime of a low fat diet. So please do not drink that Kool-Aid. Please eat enough fats. It will change your life in a positive way. And too much fat in your diet can lead to unintentional weight gain, stomach cramping, loose stools or diarrhea, constipation when your carbs are too low. So think keto. That's why keto people are always constipated. Um, Inflammation when there's too much polyunsaturated fats or trans fats and elevated cholesterol in some people, not everybody. But as you can see, too much fat in your diet is usually not as common and doesn't cause as many issues as uh, people who have not enough fat in their diet. So make sure you have adequate fat intake. And I would say generally, you're going to want to have between 25% to all the way up to 50% of your daily calories from fat sources. So that's anywhere from 45 grams of fat minimum, all the way up to like 100 grams. If you are following a more low to no carb diet, you would be on the higher end of the spectrum. A few more specific roles of dietary fats in the body is that not only, like I said before, they help you absorb and effectively use specific vitamins that your body needs. They also encourage healthy cells. So each of the cells in the body is surrounded by a membrane, which consists of a double layer of fat. So this membrane helps keep the cells healthy which in turn keeps our hair, skin, etc., looking fresh and radiant, among many other things. So my grandma used to always tell me when like I was like my skin was looking dull and dry, etc. She'd be like, "Oh, just put a tablespoon or a teaspoon. I don't know. I can't remember now of olive oil in like my little glass of orange juice in the morning." Um, and I get it now. I get why she said that. I used to be like, "That's gross and weird and blah blah blah," but uh, she was obviously onto something. <laughs> uh, but also. Fats help with satiety with meals. So when fat is present in food, it generally is where the flavor is enhanced of that meal. And it also makes you fuller longer. So it's important to consume a good amount of fat in each meal, anywhere from 8 to 25 grams per meal, I would say, depending on what your daily goal is. And it will digest slower, which is honestly where a lot of people with Ozempic have issues because they might not have been instructed to reduce their fat intake when they're on that medication. And that medication works by slowing down your gut motility. If you're consuming high fat, AKA the hardest macronutrient to digest by it being nine calories per gram, it will give you stomach problems, nausea, et cetera, because it's just sitting in your stomach waiting to be processed because your stomach has been like reduced to like 20% motility where it's moving really slow. It just went from like somebody jogging to somebody like walking, dragging their foot. Like that's just a metaphor for what happens when you're on something like um, semi-glutides. Okay, so I'm gonna kind of end that part of the fat chat by saying just eat the amount of fat that makes you feel your best. So emphasize on healthier whole food fats like monounsaturated oils and saturated fats from coconut, pastured and grass-fed animals and omega-3 fats from fatty fish, nuts and seeds, etc. And use enough of those healthy fats to make your food taste good because you really want to enjoy what you're eating and there's no reason to not enjoy them. So avoid your deep fried oils, oil heavy restaurant dishes, etc. And minimize your consumption of like packaged and processed foods as much as possible. Because 
it's not necessary. And something like adding some grass-fed butter to your veggies or avocado on your salad or some bacon and eggs at breakfast with some sort of sauteed veggie or something like that. Those are absolutely fine and great ways to start your morning if you are somebody, again, who is minimizing their consumption of packaged and processed foods and is more active, etc. Um, and, you know, try things like fattier tuna at a sushi restaurant, you know, all those things are totally okay, again, in moderation, and they are health promoting because they give you a lot more benefits, as you should know, by all of that conversation, um, much more than it would be without it. But also I'd like to encourage you to not be afraid to experiment with different amounts of fat to figure out what works best for you and your individual goals. So try several weeks having 30% fat in your macronutrient ratios of the day, or try having 40% and lowering your carbs. Something important to know is that when you're thinking macronutrients, you're going to want to keep your protein constant all the time. So protein, let's say, is always at 30% of your daily macronutrient ratios of 100%. So the last 70% is going to be split between your fats and your carbs. Those inverse each other. So if you're going to raise one up, like if you're going to increase your fat, you will want to lower your carbs in efforts to manage a better composition, body composition of whatever your goal is. And most people have the same goal. They want to have a nice, like nicely composed body, enough lean muscle to keep their metabolism high, but also not too much excess fat so that they can be um, functional, healthy, happy, low inf inflammation, etc. At least from my experience, majority of the people I work with, that is the underlying foundational goal. So you can achieve that really well by always having a consistent amount of high protein in your diet. Um, if you're a more active person and inversing your fats and carbs and making sure you go for the best quality versions of each if you really want to succeed in your health goal. Okay, so now let's kind of dive into some of the quick tips about logging your fats on MyFitnessPal and as well as the other macronutrients to kind of complete this macro series. And hopefully it'll help you better understand like tips and tricks for logging and understanding your food because a lot of people get overwhelmed by the logging process. And one of the major misconceptions is that people think, oh, well, I, I just can't imagine having to weigh my food all the time and be so strict about like logging everything and this or that. Well, it, it's only hard for like the first couple of weeks. It's just like riding a bike. It sucks in the beginning, but then it's like a piece of cake later on. Half the time, the main reason, or more than half the time, honestly, the main reason I have my clients practice this skill is because you don't actually even need to do the logging part as much for years on end afterwards, because you honestly get to visually understand like the whole part of weighing and understanding things is very key for getting a visual understanding of what does four ounces of some sort of meat look like? What does one tablespoon of butter actually look like? What does two ounces of cheese look like, you know, and that is super empowering and helpful because then you can look at food when you're out and about and be like, oh yeah, okay, I already ate like an ounce of cheese. That's easily 200 or 300 calories. I'm going to reel it back and focus on the charcuterie, like the meats or something like that. You know what I mean? And it's so important for things like that because it's become popular to have cheese and cured meats, etc. But when you practice logging some of those things, you'll see like, wow, or I have to reduce how many like meats and cheeses I eat because I'm totally blindly eating 3000 calories and it's just kind of played up like a little snacky board. 
But charcuterie is like really high in sodium and really high in processed meats and very high in fats because that's that's like little pockets of uh, deliciousness in like all these cured meats. And cheese is dominantly a fat, not dominantly a protein. Um, the more aged it gets, the higher protein content and less things like dairy fat. So it does kind of adjust the ratios, but it's really important for that example and many more to better understand your macronutrients, especially through the process and discipline of tracking temporarily. So I want to make sure you all understand tracking is not a lifetime thing. It's not something to be rigid for the rest of your life. It's just something to either help you stay on track if you have a disciplined program for a deficit because you can't just kind of willy-nilly eat and then be like, why am I not losing weight? Well, you probably have no idea how many calories you're actually eating and if you're actually in a deficit, etc. Or you're losing too much muscle. Okay, I'm not eating enough protein while I'm trying to cut, quote unquote, aka calorie deficit. So this is why this entire series is um, a whole month long because it's so important to understand all the misconceptions of macro tracking and stuff like that. And there's a ton of like Facebook groups and different different macro counting teachers out there that totally take it and kind of go a little neurotic with it. Um, I've had clients show me like groups where this is like a macro counting accountability group with like coaches and they make these spreadsheets that are insane. And I'm like, no wonder people got overwhelmed or get overwhelmed and are just like, it works, but I can't keep up with it. And that's because it's not really a lifestyle approach to macros. So again, stay tuned for a more lifestyle approach to macros from my end. Um, It's um, something I've been working on and excited to launch for you guys, um, especially everybody who does not train with me or work with me one-on-one with coaching. I wanted to make this available to all of you so that you can also reap the benefits of kind of this different lifestyle um, nutritional adjustment, I guess, or intervention for some of you who's just like, I have no idea what I'm eating and why I look the way I look, etc. Like I've mentioned before in this one, and I think the last episode, the balance of fats and carbs are your energy nutrients. So you're always keeping your protein constant. Protein should never change. So whenever you're on MyFitnessPal, I would adjust up your protein percentage from 20 to 30%. Um, You can even go up into 35% if you're doing a temporary like 10 to 15 week deficit um, to keep your protein really high and robust. That is one of the best ways scientifically we have seen people maintain and or build lean muscle while in a deficit. Again, that's not always easy to achieve, but that is one of the best ways to maintain muscle. So once you have your protein adjusted to that ratio out of your total daily energy expenditure car or calories for the entire day, you're going to look at your fats and carbs and inverse them depending on either that day's energy requirements. So if you're doing some sort of group class, some sort of cardio, weightlifting, et cetera, I would suggest you do your carbs higher than your fats. So you're going to increase your carbs to let's say like 40%. And then um, if your protein's at 30%, then you have 30% left of fats to fulfill. So then it kind of just falls in line there. Opposite is true. If you are somebody who's at a desk job, you're going to recomposition the best if you increase maybe your fats and lower your carbs. Because like we said in the carbs episode, we think of carbs as quick energy and we kind of want to not overdo it when we're not actually utilizing that energy for something that's higher level of intensity throughout the day, bring your heart rate up higher. So 
inverse your carbs and fats after you put your stable protein, eat the same protein all throughout the week, and inverse your carbs and fats as needed based off of my, in my opinion, your energy expenditure for that day or the next day. So same thing kind of goes like if you've ever heard of carb loading that a lot of um, kind of athletes or uh, marathon runners, et cetera, will do where they eat a lot of carby stuff a few days before the race so that they have just like this really robust glycogen storage. That is a strategy. If you're somebody who is doing something like that, if you're a runner, you definitely need to have enough carbs and fats, like we had said in this whole episode are going to slow down your digestion and keep you satiated longer throughout the day. So we still need an ample amount of fats in every single meal, but you just might not want as much because when you have too much fat, too much carb, and not enough protein, that's usually where we get into a caloric surplus and or body composition that is not usually the leaner and uh, lower body fat, higher muscle um, kind of physique that most of us are going to enjoy if you achieve that. So I usually would categorize somebody who has a lower energy output kind of lifestyle as like a desk job or anybody who is under 4,000 steps a day. That is very low energy output. So you're kind of working only a couple hundred calories over your basal metabolic rate. So again, you can go get a in-body scan, a DEXA scan, or anything like that to get your lean body mass in comparison to your body fat percentage. I recommend that for every single person. Honestly, it's usually free if you kind of Google around your area. A lot of gyms will offer it for like 20 bucks or DEXA scans usually range anywhere from 40 to like upwards of $90, depending on your location. But you don't need to get a ton of them um, frequently. You just need to get like maybe one every six months or if you're trying to actually achieve a certain physique goal, one every two or three months. And it's going to help you understand, are you eating properly to support your um, body composition goal, aka are you losing fat and gaining muscle or maintaining muscle? Or where am I at so I can understand like how to actually get my calories? There's a ton of calorie calculators online. They do a pretty good job. But if you really want to know your unique body and understand it and see even what imbalances in muscle you have, DEXA scans also do bone mineral density, which is great for a lot of women, especially over the age of 40 to kind of see like, am I in a good position for like preventing osteoporosis? Am I at risk, et cetera? I mean, honestly, that's exactly how come the DEXA scan became a thing. And then they realized that like, oh, there's this whole market um, of like fitness people that benefit from this because it's one of the most accurate body composition scans available to everybody. Well, almost everybody. If you're pregnant, you cannot use it. And um, if you have a lot of metal in your body, you can't use it because it is... um, a low functioning x-ray machine, essentially. So that's a little pro tip there. If you're trying to really nail down and understand what your current metabolic situation is, definitely get either a DEXA scan, BOD pod, in-body scan, etc. In-body scan is going to have a lot more inaccuracy, but it'll be accurate for at least your starting point. Um, And if you use the same exact machine, same day, same amount of water intake, etc., it'll at least adjust accurately to what your previous scan was. Um, Some places don't always calibrate them. It's like weight scales in the gym. I don't recommend you ever use weight scales at the gym to weigh yourself. Um, That's another topic for another time. But essentially, those scales, the more often they get used, the less accurate they get. They have to be recalibrated at least once a year. Most gyms and places like that don't ever calibrate them because 
they don't care. <laughs> so I would never weigh yourself at that. I My top tip for weighing is in the morning after you go to the bathroom, before you eat anything and butt naked and not after you shower because you can add more weight when you, because um, your body gets hydrated and your hair is hydrated when you shower. So before you shower, that is the best time to weigh yourself consistently. And for my females, definitely recommend that you weigh yourself within the first two weeks of your cycle. Ideally the first week, like days six through 12 are great days to weigh yourself. All the other days of the month are going to flip around with your water retention or inflammation, et cetera, or increase in carbs, which is water retention uh, when you get close to your uh, luteal phase. So that's also a pro tip. And I have actually almost shifted nearly all of my clients into only weighing and doing measurements um, in those first two weeks of follicular phase. So pro tip there as well. Okay, and to finalize kind of a little bit of the MyFitnessPal stuff, the best thing you can do is kind of reflect on your macros that you logged. And I always recommend you log as you've been eating or your general eating for at least a week. Then you can kind of see where your metabolism has been at and where you gravitate as a person towards food-wise. Some people want more fats naturally. Some people want more carbs naturally. Usually our body is pretty intuitive without us even being aware that it wants to consume more fats. Maybe it's more fat dominant or it wants to consume more carbs because it's more carb dominant. I am more of a carb person. I've always been a white rice girl, <laughs> not just because I'm Filipino, but because that's just what my body feels really good at. Like I can eat a whole cup of rice and feel energized. Some people will eat a whole cup of rice and be sluggish and sleepy. That means you don't really process carbs very well and you probably should reduce those starchy carbs and increase some good quality fats. So think about, did you notice any trends, any areas where you're over consistently on your macronutrient goal? Um, did you notice any patterns around where you're about to have your menses? So you're going to bleed. Did your carbs increase? Did your calories increase, etc.? Did anything correlate with an emotional event or a stressor? Did you find it hard to be like honest with yourself when you were logging? Like, did you not want to log the ice cream pint that you ate? You know, <laughs> things like that. But it's really important to get really real with yourself. And that's also a passive thing I love about logging and, and learning your macros is that you kind of have to become like unapologetically honest with yourself because not logging the food doesn't mean you didn't eat it. Despite what some memes and stuff online say, it means that for some reason, part of you feels guilt or shame around that food item. And you don't want to see like if it totally messed up your good day of eating calories. That's something to unpack. You really have to not judge yourself. So be mindful while you're logging. And being mindful, it means that you're observing yourself or observing someone or something without judgment. So I really encourage you to consider that as you're logging your food and just be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that <laughs> a half a pint of Ben and Jerry's completely puts me into a surplus zone. And that's why I haven't been able to lose any fat or that's why my mood has been swinging everywhere, etc. But on the positive side, it's really great way for you to observe the positive things that change. So this week I actually had more energy because I had more protein. That's interesting. This week, I had great cognition because I was eating really well and didn't have too many processed carbs. 
so many great things can come out of being aware and knowing what foods correlate to positive behaviors as well. Because then you can go back and be like, ah, okay, this weekend I had brunch, boozy brunch with the girls. I felt like crap. It's definitely the boozy brunch food, you know, <laughs> which a lot of us don't really have to ask that question to know. But when you get affirmed of it with your own body, that can be really empowering and help you make better choices for the long term. All right, Rebel, that's it for today's episode. So don't forget to share your knowledge and experience with the women in your life, including this podcast. So if this whole series was helpful for you, I really um, would love you to share it with somebody who could benefit so that we can support each other and raise each other up to kind of getting out of all of this very toxic diet culture that is so prominent and is constant, honestly. And so that is the goal of this. And I hope that you come forward with a lot more confidence in understanding food and why it affects you and how it individually empowers you or nourishes you. You know, think of your food as nourishment. Food isn't just like passive fuel. It's completely everything to do with your long-term health, your mood, um, your physique, etc. So it's a very powerful thing that we have control over and food is medicine. It can be poison. So I hope you better understand all of that. And I would love for you to celebrate your strength and nourishment, walk with confidence, and I will catch you next week on another episode of Rebel Wellness. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, we have some exciting news for you. We've recently launched an Instagram page for the Rebel Wellness podcast, where we'll be sharing inspiring quotes from every episode, behind the scenes moments, and updates about upcoming episodes. So be sure to follow us at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram to stay connected with our community. And it's growing, so I'm really excited about it. That's not all, though. I also want to introduce you to at Coach by Kales, which is my flagship fitness and wellness coaching business, as I am so passionate about empowering individuals like you to live their healthiest and most enjoyable lives. So if you would love to join me there as well, follow my page for daily inspiration, fitness tips, nutrition tips, sometimes even healthy recipes as well as debunking more myths around the health and fitness industry in general. By following both pages, you'll be joining a community of like-minded individuals who are all committed to living their best lives as well. So don't hesitate, hit that follow button and join us on this journey to wellness. Again, thank you for listening and I hope to catch you on the gram.